I have a special message on my heart I want to share with you for Father's Day. Again, happy Father's Day to all you dads that are here. We love you. Praise God for you. I thought about I thought about preaching a different message today. The, the staff advised me against it. You know, they said, "No, no, no, don't go there." And so, I, before I tell you about it, let me just say it's Father's Day weekend, okay? Which for me and and for all of you other dads, that means that you have a a no condemnation clause on dad jokes. All right, let them fly. I don't know what it's like in your house, but I, I get some grief. For the dad jokes, but I have to walk in my gifting. You know what I mean? Like, I, it's it's one of my spiritual gifts, and I just have to exercise that gift. And uh, so, dad jokes—they can fly this weekend. Uh, you know, you have reached uh, platinum status in the dad joke game when you go beyond the courtesy laughs, like so many of you are graciously giving me right now, and you get just the the groans, like ugh. That's when you know your your dad joke game is strong. I get a lot of groans in my house, and so I had an idea for a sermon today that I'm not going to preach, but I I will tell you my title. I was thinking about the story in Acts chapter 9. You know, uh, Saul of Tarsus, he's on the Damascus road, and he has an encounter with Jesus, and and he he falls off of his uh, horse there, and God changes his life in that moment, and he becomes the Apostle Paul and goes on to do great things. And I was thinking about the power of that encounter and this first Sunday coming back out of quarantine, and I thought, you know what I should do? I should preach a sermon and call it The Road to Damascus. What do you think? I warned you. That joke would have been better if I would have had a really big mask. You know, if I, if I would have set that up with a big mask, may, I don't know. So anyway, I'm not going to preach about demasking us, but I do want to share a word with you today, and it, it comes out of the book of Esther. So if you'll go with me to the Old Testament book of Esther, I mentioned a verse, uh, two verses out of Esther a few weeks ago, actually two weeks ago. I preached a message called Available. And uh, hopefully you were able to get that online. But in that sermon, I I touched on a scripture in Esther chapter 4, and we're really dealing with the issue of uh, racism in our nation. And Esther receives a word at that time that, that is basically saying the Lord will deliver and the Lord will bring justice, but perhaps the Lord has given you your royal position for such a time as this. And, and it was a message to say that, that God is speaking to the church as the sons and daughters of God. We have a royal position, and we have to use our voice. Well, because of that sermon and that thought, I just kind of stayed in the book of Esther for a few days. And, and as I was reading Esther, a character really stood out to me, not Esther, but another character stood out to me, and I thought, now this is a man worth following. And I want to talk about that man today. Listen, I, I don't know how you come into uh, Father's Day weekend. For some of you, it's, it's a day filled with fond memories. For others, maybe it's a day filled with unfulfilled hopes and dreams. For some of you, maybe it's a painful day and, and a day that you would rather not deal with. For some of you, you may dread standing in the aisle with cards at Walgreens trying to find something that appropriately expresses Happy Father's Day to a dad that really didn't bring much happiness into your life. And I recognize that everybody is coming at this weekend from a different place. Regardless of your experience, I, I, 
I think it's safe to assume, even for the, the young people in the room, we've all been alive long enough to know that not every man is worth following. Not everybody's worth following. But I, I see in this story a man who was. And so I want to look at the role of Mordecai in the story of Esther for a few moments today. And I want to just say, by way of introduction, men, you have an important part to play. You have a vital role, not just in your own family, not in your own life or in your career, but I'm talking about in the greater story of what God is doing in the earth. You have a role. You have a part to play. And every one of us, we can look at the people in our life that have been those unseen heroes. They're, they're the they're the bylines and the credits of our story, but you recognize that without them, you're not who you are. There are people that helped you up. There are people that held you up. There are people that, that, that directed you and, and, and corrected you and pointed you in the right direction. And today, I, I dare say many of us would have to acknowledge that you are standing as tall as you are because you're standing on the shoulders of somebody who went before you. Maybe it was a coach, maybe it was a, a mentor, a, a teacher, maybe it was a parent or a grandparent, but you're standing where you are and you would say, you know what, I, I, I don't get here without them in my story. And when I read the book of Esther, I come away with this thought, Esther needed Mordecai. She needed him. And so what I want to do today is I want to I want to give you five things that I believe we need more of. We need the things that Mordecai exemplified in this story. And I'm going to try to cover the whole story, but not in detail, obviously. It's 10 chapters long, and usually I struggle to get through five verses in the time allotted. So this is going to be the 30,000-foot elevation flyover, okay? We're just going to kind of see it and, and just keep going, and I would encourage you to read the story because there's a whole lot more than what we're going to get to. But chapter one begins like this. Chapter one, we've come into the story, and we meet King Xerxes. He's the leader of the province. He's, he's a king, and, and he's throwing a party. It's a seven-day party with an open bar, all right? So this party, day and night, I mean, he's essentially just having a, a binger with his friends. And somewhere in the middle of all of that chaos, he calls for his wife, the queen, to come. And essentially, he just wants to show off her beauty and entertain everybody. And uh, she says, that ain't happening. I'm not doing that. And so he, he, he's embarrassed now. And one of his friends at the party gives him some advice. Now, can I just pause and give a little free advice on Father's Day? If you're at a seven-day party with an open bar, the advice you need is not coming from one of your friends at that party. That's just somebody needs to know that because I know how it goes, you know. The night rolls on and everybody starts waxing philosophical and, you know, solving the world's problems. You know, that sounds like a great idea. And one of his friends says, you know, if word gets out that your wife rejected your invitation and didn't listen to you, all the other women in the kingdom are going to get this idea that they can do what they want to do and not listen to their husbands. It's going to be bad for everybody. You know what you ought to do, king? You ought to just, you ought to kick her out of the palace and tell her she can't ever come back. He goes, that's a great idea. And he does it. 
He kicks her out of the palace. And then he passes out, and a few days later, he wakes up, and he says, I don't have a wife. I don't have a king. I don't have a queen. This, this, is, this was stupid. So he comes up with another idea. He's going to have a beauty pageant. And he's going to pick from all the most beautiful women in his kingdom a new wife. And so that's what's about to happen. They're going to have this beauty pageant. And we pick up the story now in Esther chapter 2. And if you're a note taker, here's the first thing I need you to know. We need more of. We need more father figures. Or maybe I could emphasize it like this, because I want you to see the kind of father figure that Mordecai was. We need more father figures. We need Mordecai father figures. Look at verse 7 with me in Esther 2. It says, Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. Now again, the reason it mentions her beauty and her figure is because there's about to be a beauty pageant, and so it's, it's applicable in this moment. I, I asked a question to our students a while back. I had the opportunity to speak to them, and, and the question that I asked our teenagers was this. I said, why is the role of a father figure so important for our lives. I had a young lady raise her hand, and I said, why? She said, because they show us what kind of man we should marry. I thought that was pretty impressive. That's a good answer. I thought, wow, that is so true. You're right. Your father should demonstrate for you what kind of a man you want to marry. And so then I asked another question. The second question I asked was, well, who is someone in your life that, that demonstrates a father figure? Whether it's your biological dad or not, who is a person in your life? And hands went up. Again, the first two students I called on, they gave the exact same answer. Do you know what their answer was? They said, my mom. I thought, wow. Then I started assessing the, the group I was talking to and I started realizing how many of the students I was talking to, I don't, I don't know their dad. I mean, I'm their pastor, and I'm leading this, this youth service, and I don't have a relationship with their father. And suddenly, I became very aware, again, of something that we probably all already know, that in America today, we are experiencing a pandemic of fatherlessness, and the church does not have an immunity to it. There's an absence of spiritual fathers, and we have spiritual orphans growing up in the church. I thank God that this church is reaching more young people. We had our first in-person youth service uh, on Thursday night. Pastor Chris and the youth staff did a youth service right here. We had 20 students, and we hadn't had any in-person youth services since March. Amen. There was 20 of them right here ready to go, and we're going to fill that bus up and go to youth camp in a few weeks, and I say we, and I mean he, because I don't have to go. <laughs> I thank God that we're reaching more students than ever before, but because that is true, it is more critical now than ever before that, that we have men, young and old, who have been serving the Lord a little bit longer, just got a few more steps down the journey that will step into that role of spiritual fatherhood. 
don't know if you've noticed in our culture, but the age of innocence is, is getting younger and younger. Much in part thanks to our technology. I mean, there's things that you, you can be exposed to in, in kindergarten on an electronic device that you, know, you, you wouldn't have come across until you were at least in middle school when I, when I was a kid. I mean, at least till I was old enough to get in enough trouble to go find it. But now it finds you. Trouble's available. And so we're, we're losing the age of innocence. But at the same time, maybe you've noticed that we're also extending the age of accountability. That the expectations aren't being met as early in our culture. And I think what we're seeing happening is that the lack of preparation results in a hesitation for young people to pick up the mantle of manhood. They're just ill-equipped. We need fathers. What we're seeing is the extinction of childlikeness and the extension of childishness. We need fathers. And by the way, the need for a father figure doesn't go away when you turn 18 or when you turn 21. So I'm not just talking about children and youth. In fact, if you look in Esther chapter 2, verse 20, it says this. And by this time, Esther's queen. She's an adult. She's the queen of Persia. And it says, but Esther had kept secret her family background and nationality just as Mordecai had told her to do. For she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions as she had done when he was bringing her up. She continued to follow his instructions. You know, I was thinking last night as I was preparing for this message, it's, it's kind of funny. It seems like on Mother's Day, uh, you know, we just dote on all the moms. And we just thought, you know, moms are this, they're that. We just, we just brag on the moms. And then Father's Day comes, and we kind of scold the guys for not stepping up, you know? <laughs> like, I mean, I've been in church my whole life. It does kind of feel that way sometimes. And I, I just, I want to say, maybe, maybe that's because, you know, we usually have men preaching. And I had this idea way too late to prepare for it. But I thought, maybe we should let the women preach on Father's Day so they can just talk about how good we are. Right? Like, that would just be, that would feel so much better. No, I do want to say, though, guys, I'm not here to scold you today, okay? I'm not here to try to say, hey, get into shape, get this right, you know, fix your life. What I'm trying to say today is you matter. You matter. Your presence is so important. And, and that's the thing about Mordecai. He wasn't a perfect father figure, but he was present. And that's where it begins. We just need to be present in the lives of other people to coach them, to encourage them, to move forward and to fulfill their purpose that God has given them. The second thing is this. We don't just need father figures. We need more protectors. We need protectors. Look at verse 21 and 22. The next verse is there in, in Esther chapter 2. It says, during that time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. And Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. Verse 22 says, but Mordecai found out about the plot and he told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. Now understand this about Mordecai. He had been taken as an exile out of Jerusalem into Babylonian captivity. 
And then the Babylonian Empire was taken over by the Persian Empire. And now he's living in captivity in the Persian Empire. And I say all that because I want you to understand, he didn't owe this king anything. He, he didn't step up and intervene in an assassination plot because he had some allegiance to the king or to the Persian Empire. He didn't do it out of some sense of nationalistic obligation. He did it because it was right. He did it because it was the right thing to do in that moment. And, and can I just say, men of God, do not turn a blind eye to injustice. We don't, we don't measure the cost of right and wrong based on our, our affiliation, based on uh, who we agree with or disagree with, or what public opinion might be about the situation. A, a man of God who is a protector, who walks in integrity, sees something that is a spade, and he calls it a spade. He sees something that is right, and he says, that is right. And it doesn't matter if anybody agrees with me or disagrees. I'm not going to turn a blind eye to injustice. And so in this moment, Mordecai intervenes. There's a scripture in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Every, every Christian ought to have it highlighted in their Bible. It says this. It says, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. He's shown you. And then it asks maybe the most important question in the Bible. And what does the Lord require of you? Isn't that the question that we all ask? Isn't that the question we want? God, what do you want from me? You ask it about, about your, your future. Lord, where do you want me to go to school? What do you want me to do after I graduate? You ask it about your relationships. God, is this the one? Is he the one? Is she the one? You ask it about your career. God, what do you want me to do? You get into difficult situations and problem solving, and you call out to God, and you're saying, God, I don't know what to do. And in, in many different variables, we come back to the same root question. What do you want, God? And it's right here in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. What does the Lord require of you? Here's the answer. To act justly. Now, that word act means take action. It doesn't mean because you're in church, act justly. <laughs> you better act justly. You don't have to be just, but at least when you're out there in public, you better act justly. No, that is, that is not what the Lord requires. He says act, do justly, and love mercy. See, mercy is not getting the punishment you deserve. That's what mercy means. You know, grace is getting favor you don't deserve. Mercy is, is getting reprieve from the punishment that you do deserve. He said you ought to love mercy. Not, not be looking for the opportunity to stick it to someone and say, well, they, they got what was coming to them. No, love mercy and act justly and walk humbly with your God. He said, this is what the Lord requires of you. This is the kind of man that Mordecai was. And because he's a, a man of God and a protector, he's sitting in a situation that really has nothing to do with him. He gains nothing from it. He loses nothing from it. But he sees something and he says, that's an injustice. I can't just sit here and pretend that's not happening. I have to say something. I have to do something. And that's what I love about him because if he had just stepped up to defend Esther, I mean, come on, what guy wouldn't do that? 
I would hope that every man would defend their own family. I would hope that every man would stand up and defend the people that they love. But what impressed me about him is that he stood up for what was right when he had nothing to gain for it, no personal interest in it. The Bible says that we're to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And there's a time that when something is a righteous cause, we have to stand up. The third word is this, we need more boldness. Look with me in chapter 3, verse 2. Before we read it, let me say that King Xerxes had a a right-hand man named Haman, and he honored Haman for his work. It says in verse 2, all the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down, and they paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. Now, you got to understand why. Because if you just read that and you don't understand the context, it sounds like, well, you know, Mordecai's not honoring authority. And the Bible says we're supposed to honor authority. You got to understand what's happening right here. Again, Mordecai is not a Persian. He's not even a Babylonian. He's a Hebrew. And when God gave the Hebrew people the commandments to live by, etched in stone, delivered to Moses, the first two commandments said, seek God first, have no other gods before him. And the second commandment said, don't bow down to any other God, to any other idol. And so it's the same thing that compelled Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three Hebrew boys, when they said, look, you can throw us in the fire, but we are not going to bow down to your graven image. It was that same conviction that Mordecai said, look, I'll live in this land, I'll serve in this economy, I'll do what you want me to do, but I'm not going to bow down to a lesser God. You're not going to get my worship. He was bold. You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say he was brash. And I think sometimes, you know, we, we, we convolute the idea of what manhood is as just being some, you know, sense of bravado. Like, I'm just going to be a, a tough guy. Can I just say this? Boldness can be quiet. Boldness doesn't have to always confront people. Boldness can just be an inner strength that just says, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to bow down while the rest of the world bows down. I'm going to stand for my standards. I refuse to compromise my convictions because I know what God requires of me. He wants me to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with my God. So I'm not going to bow or bend in this moment. I love Proverbs 28 verse 1 because it says this. It says, the wicked flee though no one pursues them. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. I love that. We, we had a one year, uh, I mean, this was a long time ago, long time ago, like, I don't know, maybe 2000, maybe earlier. We had a guest speaker come to our church. He was a guy, he was about this tall. He was from Africa. I can't remember which part of the continent he was from, but uh, he was this uh, African man, and he preached on that verse. And he talked about boldness in the Lord. And I still, I'm, every time I read this verse, he's the guy I think of because he walked like this across the stage. <laughs> I am bold as a lion. I am not afraid of any man. And he, he just, he prowled around the stage like a lion. And I mean, this is a little guy, and I, I believed him, man. He looked at me, he said, I am not afraid of any man. I was like, wow, man, he is. But that, 
Have you ever seen a lion? They could care less. Have you ever been to the zoo? I mean, you know, everybody's, ah, kids are screaming. He's just laying there. He's just looking at you like, I, I, don't, have to, I don't have to roar. I don't have to scream. I'm just, I'm, why? Because I know who I am. I'm the king of the jungle. I, I know who I am. And that, that strength, he said, the righteous, they're, they're as bold as a lion. Something in them that just rises above all of it. You know, we, we ought to pray like the New Testament church prayed. I, I, in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John, they're preaching, and then they get arrested, and they spend the night in jail. This is new territory. I mean, they, they've been in hot water before with Jesus, but now Jesus has ascended back to heaven, and, and they're trying to advance the gospel, and they just spent their first night in jail. And so when they get out the next day, they do what you might expect. They have a prayer meeting. They get together with the church, and, and I don't know, I would expect everybody to go, man, are you okay, man? I mean, we were praying for you guys. And so they got together, and they prayed. But I want you to listen to what they prayed. In Acts chapter 4, verse 29, after spending a night in jail, they prayed, now, Lord, consider their threats. We would go, yeah, man, they were, they were, they were threatened not to, not to preach, or they'd be beaten, and they said, consider their threats, but then they said this in Acts 4.29, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Think about that. They, they didn't say, God, consider their threats and, and help us find a way to not get in trouble with them again. Lord, consider their threats and, and, and send us somewhere else. No, they said, God, consider their threats. And give us great boldness so that we can speak your word. Men of God, stand up for what's right when the world bows down. In Esther chapter 3, it says that uh, Haman was furious because Mordecai wouldn't honor him. And, uh, and it was personal, but he wasn't going to be satisfied to just take Mordecai's life. He wanted to take out everyone that looked like him. And so it became a racial issue. An edict was put out that on a specific day, all the Hebrew people could be killed on that day. In chapter 4, Mordecai sends a message to his cousin Esther, the queen. And that's where we got to the scripture I looked at a couple weeks ago. He sends her a message saying to her, essentially, Esther, this is your moment. You got to step up. You got you got to step up. God's put you here for this time, and here's the fourth thing you need to know: we need more coaches. We need coaches. Listen to these words in Esther four, verse thirteen and fourteen. He sent back this answer to her: Do not think because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, Esther, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Again, that's the verse that I shared a few weeks ago. It's no secret to anyone that hasn't been living in a hole in the ground that, that injustice in America has been exposed, and it is past time that the church 
rise up and lead the way for reconciliation in our nation. And in this day that we're reading about, Mordecai could see that like the church in our day, Esther was positioned to do something. Esther had the opportunity. And so what does he do? He coaches her. He commissioned her. He, he speaks to her and he says, look, Esther, this is your moment. And can I just say today, again, we need coaches in the church. Not critics, coaches. There's a difference in a coach and an armchair quarterback. The armchair quarterback may love the team. The armchair quarterback may know what play should be called. The armchair quarterback might have some great ideas about what's going on, but the armchair quarterback is the guy that sits with his fist in the bottom of a bag of potato chips and yells at the screen. He's not breaking a sweat. He's not invested. The difference is the coach. He's out there on the sideline, and sometimes he yells and throws his hat too. But he was on the practice field. He was in the locker room. He was studying the game film. He's got a relationship. He knows the faces that are under the helmets. The coach is invested. And when it doesn't go right, he stays invested. And he, and he treks with that team. And they try to make improvements. And they work through it together. Can I just say again, we need more coaches, not critics. Not armchair quarterbacks who would say, well, you know the problem with kids these days but somebody that would say, you know what, I'm going to come and I'm going to see your God-given potential. See, a great coach can do that. A great coach can say, you know what, that kid, he's, he's not that good yet, but give him a couple years. We're going to develop him. We're going we're gonna to train him up. We're going to get him on a, an exercise regimen. We're going to get him in the, in the weight room in the off-season, and, and we're going to coach him. We're going to teach him the playbook, and in about three or four years, this kid's going to have something to contribute, and we need people like that in the church. We need men to be coaches. Let me tell you the fifth thing and the final thing. We need leaders. We need more leaders. And, and I want to go all the way to the last verse in the story of Esther. Chapter 10, verse 3. Here's what it says. Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews, and held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews. Because he worked for the good of his people, and he spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. As I mentioned, this is the last verse in the last chapter on the last page of the story of Esther. And what strikes me about this is this is the first moment that Mordecai actually has a title. Now, if you read the story, you see all the way back in chapter 2 when we met him, he's a leader. He's a father to the fatherless. He's a coach. He's a protector. He's bold. But he's never had a title. Can I just say, men, you don't need to wait for a title to lead. You don't have to have a title to be a leader. Last week, I mentioned the story of Joseph, and his story kind of parallels Mordecai in the fact that when he was just a teenager, he was sold as a slave into Babylon. But yet at the age of 30... He was made second in command of the entire kingdom. How in the world does that happen? One refrain that is repeated all throughout Joseph's story is this, and the Lord was with Joseph. 
the Lord was with Joseph. When he was being mistreated, the Lord was with Joseph. When he was a servant, the Lord was with Joseph. When he was a prisoner, the Lord was with Joseph. When he was in the pit, the Lord was with him. And he was faithful to the Lord. One thing, we said it last week, and I want to say it again. One thing we've learned is that our plans change. (laughs) Haven't we seen that to be true this year? But God is faithful. God is faithful. Your current problems don't cancel God's eternal promises. And that's why Joseph could hold on to nothing but a dream, nothing but a promise. That's why Mordecai could walk in righteousness and integrity though he was not living where he wanted to live. I want to just mention another verse to you, and then I want to pray for all of the men here. There's a a scripture that James says. James was the brother of Jesus, by the way. James chapter 4, verse 10. He wrote this. He said, humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now, if you think you humbling yourself before the Lord is hard, imagine humbling yourself before your brother. James was the brother of Jesus. But eventually he got to the place where he understood and he believed that Jesus was the Son of God. And he said, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. But another disciple, Peter, He wrote a letter when he was an older man to the church, and he said essentially the same thing. In 1 Peter 5, verse 6, Peter said, Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God, that he may lift you up. But then he added these three words, in due time. It stands out to me because they essentially said the same thing, but Peter added, he'll lift you up in due time due time. And I just have to believe that Peter wrote that part because he had to learn the hard way that the elevation comes in God's time. I mean, some of you, you, you know Peter. He was the outspoken one. He was the assertive one. He was the one that was always trying to push the agenda or make the assumptions or speak too quickly. He was ready to get things going. I mean, at one point in Matthew 16, Jesus looked at him, and his name was actually Cephas, but Jesus said, from this moment forward, Cephas, you're going to be called Peter, and upon this rock, I'm going to build the church. And, and Peter, of course, you know, jumped the gun, Peter. He's like, yeah, that's great. On this rock, I'm going to build the church. Literally, like two paragraphs later, in Matthew 16, Jesus has to turn around and look at him and say, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) Because within about five minutes of Peter hearing that Jesus is going to build the rock, build the church on the rock, he started telling Jesus what to do. Jesus said, I'm going to do this. And Peter's like, oh, no, you're not. I'll tell you what's going to happen. He said, get behind me, Satan. In due time, Peter, you just stay faithful. In due time, elevation will come. In due time, promotion will come for you. But be patient. And so years later, an older, wiser Peter says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will lift you up in due time. Because God's promotion comes at God's pace. And that's why I love this verse at the very end of Esther. 
Because Mordecai was willing to play the background. He, he didn't need to have his name on the marquee. He was willing to be a, a byline, a background story in God's story of redemption. He, he was willing to be a father to the fatherless. Long before anybody knew Esther's name, before she had won any beauty pageants, before anybody put a crown on her head, he was a father to the fatherless. He was a protector, not just looking out for himself and for his own, but when he saw injustice, he said, that's not right. And he stood up and he stopped, plotted assassination because he was a man of righteousness. He was bold when it was a cultural norm to bow down to Haman. It said everyone did it. But Mordecai refused. He was willing to play the background. And then, at the end of the story, in the last verse, in the last paragraph, on the last page, he goes all the way to second in command. And can I just say to to all of you today, especially to the men, you may or may not be rewarded the way you deserve in this life. You may not get the respect that you deserve in this life. You might not get the accolades, but on the last page, in the last verse, of the last chapter of your story you're going to be moved right to the top because the picture in the back of the book shows us a kingdom and it says that Jesus is the king of kings he is the lord of lords and those kings and those lords that serve under him they are the church They're the church because the word says we're going to rule and reign with him in righteousness. And I want to promise you there is coming a day and God keeps great record where all of your faithfulness is going to be accounted for and God is going to put a crown on your head. He's going to give you an opportunity to reign with him in his kingdom. But God's promotion comes at God's pace. And that's why it's so important today that we understand that we don't operate according to the patterns of this world. We serve a higher kingdom today. I want to pray specifically for all the men that are here, all the men that are watching. If you're in the room, I don't care if you're an old man or a young man, I want to invite you to stand right now and just receive this prayer. Would you stand with me? I just want to pray God's blessing on you. I I can't tell you how much it means to me that that you're here today, that, that you're watching today. That you would say, you know what? It's Sunday. Church is open. I'm going to be in the house of God. I don't know if it's raining now. The weather looked good earlier. If it's still good, I can guarantee you the clubhouse is packed at the golf course. 
boats are moving in and out of the launch. A lot of things you could do. I thank God that there's a room full of men looking back at me right now. And I want to ask if you just put your hands out towards the Lord just as a, an outward sign of, of reception to say, God, I'm, I'm receiving this moment. Father, I pray right now for these men. God, I pray we need Mordecai's today. God, I pray that, that you would make them aware of those people in their lives that, Lord, they need to step in where there is spiritual fatherlessness. God, that they would step in and fill that gap. Father, I pray that they would be protectors, Lord God, not just looking out for themselves or for their own, but that they would see righteousness and call it right and see injustice and call it evil. And Lord, that they would be protectors. God, I pray for boldness. Lord, as we, we live in a, in a culture that has become less and less palatable of godliness. But Jesus, you never promised a road of comfort. In fact, your invitation included a cross. And so God, I pray that you give us boldness, not for a, an escape hatch, but that we would speak boldly your words and that we would stand resolute when the world around us bows down in compromise. Father, I pray that you make these men coaches. Lord, if they feel inadequate, Lord, give them boldness to know that, Lord, they have experiences that can be gleaned from. Lord, give them the, the grace to speak into other people's potential, to not call out their inefficiencies, to not exasperate their children, but to build them up. God, to coach and to lead them and to commission them towards their God-given purpose. God, I pray today that you would raise up leaders. We need leaders, not just people with titles, because leaders lead. They go first. And Lord, the church is looking for someone to go first. God, I pray that you make leaders of our men. Fill us with your spirit, God, because without you, we would fail every time. We would fall short. Lord, today, we need you. If you're standing and maybe, maybe you feel like you have fallen short and you need a fresh start with God, can I just encourage you, sir, if you'll seek God, you'll find him. That's the promise. That's the deal. You don't have to do your penance. You don't have to grovel at his feet. You just make up your mind and you tell him, Jesus, I'm in. I'm in today. I'm going to be everything you want me to be. And he'll take you at your word. And he'll fill you with his spirit. And he'll help you to be the man he's called you to be. Father, today, we just receive your grace right now. We receive your forgiveness right now. It's ours. Jesus paid it all at the cross. And I receive grace and forgiveness in Jesus' name. I want to ask if everyone else in the room, would you ladies stand with us? We're going to pray a closing prayer.
right now. And listen, I, I would love to just invite you to the altar so we can pray for you. That's typically how we would end our services. But we're not going to do that today because we want to be, uh, be respectful of, of all of the, the safety guidelines. And by the way, you did great today. I know everybody was kind of wondering, how's this going to go? I think it went pretty well. Thank you so much for being here today. I think it was worth it. How about you? It's worth it to be in God's house. Amen. Yeah. Amen.